welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bible, let me invite you to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is our 19th message as we have been walking through uh, the book of Nehemiah, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And this morning, I want to do just a very quick review as we consider against all odds. All the way back in the days of Solomon, when Solomon was the king of Israel, there was a civil war that broke out and there became two kingdoms there in Israel. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had a capital of Samaria. The southern kingdom, the capital was Jerusalem, Judah, down here in the southern kingdom. Through prophets, the Lord sent men to tell them to turn back to the one true God because they had begun to worship false gods. Jeremiah was one of those prophets that said, if you don't turn back, God's going to judge you. And ultimately, God judged the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in and tore the temple to the ground. They left the temple in ruins and they tore down the walls of that city. And then the Babylonians took the Jews into captivity for some 70 years. The Babylonians were ultimately overthrown by the Persians and King Cyrus rose to power. King Cyrus then allowed Ezra and the people of God to make their way back. There were millions of them that were in captivity, but only about 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem to begin the project of rebuilding the temple. Ezra led them to rebuild the temple. And then there was a guy over in Babylon or Persia now, if you will, that was serving as the cupbearer to the king, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. God moved on his heart to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of that city that had been torn down. So Nehemiah makes his way back. He begins this project of rebuilding the walls. There's much opposition to the progress on the walls, but in 52 days, we know they completed that work. And as they completed the work of the wall, revival began to break out there in Jerusalem. You remember they went to Nehemiah or they went to Ezra and said, bring the book, man. They began to read the book. And in chapter 10, even they signed a covenant that they would begin to live godly and moral lives. And last week we saw they did the dedication of the wall and they had this service. And you remember they began to celebrate. They began to sing. They began to sacrifice. And God was moving in an incredible way there in Jerusalem. And revival was happening. And they're singing, celebrating all the great things God has done at the end of chapter 12. And wouldn't it be awesome if Nehemiah ended right there? You could almost put at the end of chapter 12, and they lived and they lived happily ever after. But unfortunately, that's not the case. The songwriter got it right when he said this. 
prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And that is exactly what happens in the nation of Israel. They began to drift. And they drifted into sin. And the truth is we never drift towards God. We always drift away from God. So this morning from Nehemiah chapter 13, I want to preach on this subject, the danger of drifting. The danger of drifting. It happens slowly. It happens over time. But you will take an inventory at some point in your life and realize that you have drifted farther away than you ever imagined you might would. So let's stand together and begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 1. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. On that day, they read in the book of Moses and in the audience of the people. And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, ties of corn, new wine, the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Heavenly Father, would you... Speak through your word this morning. Would you do what you can do in the hearts of your people? And Lord, I pray that as you put your finger on the things in our lives that we need to deal with, that God would be quick to repent. Lord, to be honest with you about where we are. And Lord, allow you to restore some things in our lives that may need to be restored. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Nobody ever plans to drift. It happens slowly, subtly, and you often don't notice until you have drifted too far. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this, I want young men always to bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and keep the ashes removed. One fellow said it this way, moral failure and spiritual decline are like a flat tire. Most flat tires don't occur as a result of a blowout. 
They occur because air leaks out over time and we're not aware until the car becomes difficult to steer. You can easily begin to drift. I told the first service, my wife's in here this, this service, so this story may not be as funny with her in here as it was in the first service. But my best friend and I went to the beach as seniors in high school. Just like a lot of seniors do in high school, we go down there to the beach and we're down on the beach one day and we come across this girl and her father that have a sailboat. And you know, they would go out on this sailboat and they would, well, the next day we saw that the girl was not only there with her father, she was there with a friend. And so one of us didn't have to call dibs because both of them were pretty. Uh, every guy knows what I'm talking about right now. <clears throat> so we decide we're going to convince these two girls that we know how to handle this sailboat. So the next day we say, hey, you want to meet up in the morning? We'll go out on the sailboat. Yeah. So we did. And me and my friend got on that sailboat. We had never been on a sailboat ever. And we, we get this thing up, you know, and it's one of those things you're sitting on this canvas kind of thing. And we got, the, and man, that thing turns just the right way, which was really just the wrong way for us. And we are rolling, man. And we're rolling to China, I think. I mean, we, we are, we are going, we are moving. Well, I get nervous because I don't know how to get turned around. Now, all you nautical people, y'all, but I, I wasn't nautical at the time, right? I'm trying to impress one of these girls, right? So what do we do? We pull that sail down and we're trying to figure out how to get back to shore. And what do you think we have done for the last 30 minutes? We've drifted and drifted and drifted. And I didn't know even if we got back to the shore where we were. So here's what we did. We jumped down in the water. We grab a hold of this sailboat and we start trying to swim and bring it in. Can I tell you how impressed those two girls were with us? We never saw them again the rest of the week. Amen. <laughs> but in the absence of an authority, we made some bad decisions. In the absence of a leader, we watched ourselves begin to drift in the wrong direction. And that is exactly what begins to happen in the life of God's people. And the timing of this drift came just after a great revival. The walls have been built. They spent 30 days enjoying the feasts and the festivals. They've, they've had Ezra reading the book to them. They've done a dedication to the wall. They're singing, they're celebrating. And not very many months after, they take an inventory of where they are. And they discover that after a great revival, it didn't take very long. They had drifted far from where they were. That can happen to a church corporately. That can happen to a church member individually. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's danger in drifting. And may Nehemiah 13 serve as a reminder or a 
word of warning to us that we don't drift away from what we know is right. Just three quick points this morning. Number one, I see the absence of leadership. The absence of leadership. Look at verse six. Nehemiah says, but in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. Now we're going to read about two incidents that happened that illustrate the drift that was happening in God's people. And here's what Nehemiah says. I wasn't there when all this happened. Remember back in chapter two of Nehemiah, we won't go there, but Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes to request that he could leave and go back to Jerusalem and help build the wall. And the Bible says that he got leave for a set time. Well, Nehemiah has now been in Jerusalem for 12 years. And now he goes back to Babylon, if you will, or Persia, whatever you want to call it. He goes back and most believe that he was there sometime between one and two years. So we'll just say it was 18 months. So Nehemiah is there back in Persia, back in Babylon for some 18 months. And while he's there, what we read about happens. It's during the absence of leadership and godly leadership that evil spread its venom and the people of God began to drift. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the, the law? The leader was gone and he came back and what had happened? They had melted down all of their gold formed and fashioned a golden calf and they began to worship a golden calf. It's the old adage that when the cat's away, the mice will play. And the drift began to happen there in Jerusalem because their leader was gone. And so there's the absence of leadership. Not only is there the absence of leadership, there was the abandoning of the law. Remember, Chapter 10, I mentioned it just a moment ago. These are folks that got together and signed a covenant together that we are going to live moral, godly lives. We are going to make sure that our lives line up with the precepts of the word, and we are going to be people that live pure before the Lord. And here it is. Just some months later, they abandoned some very clear commands of Scripture. But before we give them a hard time, many of us have fallen in an altar and said, Lord, I'm going to do a better job of reading my Bible this week. And before you get to the car, you can't remember where your Bible is. Honey, have you seen my Bible? We have fallen in the in the altar and said, God, I, I want to be a better person of prayer. I, I want to I share my faith in a more consistent way. I want to be a greater witness for you than I've ever been. And, and, and we somehow make these commitments to the Lord Jesus. And, and it's not very many months later, we have drifted far from where we were that day. And the truth of the matter is, none of us ought to look real spiritual in here this morning because it can happen and has happened to every single one of us. None of us have arrived when it comes to a, a consistent relationship that is without fail. I tell people this all the time. The, the Christian life looks like this sometimes. But it's when those times that we begin to drift, we need to take an inventory of that 
and make the necessary adjustments by repenting and be back in line. So let's see two examples of how they abandoned the law in the absence of leadership. Number one, I see their unwillingness to separate. Their unwillingness to separate. Now the people of God were very clearly given instructions to not invite pagans or those that worshiped false gods into their congregation. They were told to separate themselves from the immoral for what fellowship does light have with darkness. And what causes their attention to be turned to their wickedness is their reading the word of God. So notice, first of all, this clear prohibition. There's the clear prohibition. Look at verse one. Look at the last part of verse one. And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Now they're reading from the book of Deuteronomy and God says expressly, and it's repeated right here, do not, do not let an Ammonite or a Moabite into this congregation. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there any ambiguity in that statement? Could, could, could somebody read that statement where God said, do not let an Ammonite or a Moabite into this congregation? Could anybody read that and go, well, you know, I'm not sure that's really what God meant. No, you can't read that and go, even moral relativism won't let you do that. It's very clear. I mean, it's very clear. God said, do not do this. It's a clear prohibition. And yet they have violated it. And what they have done is they've allowed pagans inside the camp. They've allowed pagans inside the temple. They've allowed pagans inside the congregation. The Ammonites and the Moabites were avowed enemies to God's people. And this mixed multitude was composed of pagans who wanted to be a part of the congregation. And I think there's some application we can make here is when you allow pagans into the congregation, it is those that will begin to cause you to question some things that leadership has said and then ultimately question God himself. And then you begin adrift because there's clear prohibition to not allow these pagans into the congregation. That's why it's important that we have what I refer to as a regenerate church membership. You say, what is regenerate church membership? Well, if you're going to be a member of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church, you need to be a born again believer. I'm going to say that again. If you want to be a member of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church, you need to be a born again believer. We, we try to make sure that folks that come forward and want to be a member of this church are a born-again believer because if we let a bunch of pagans and people who are unsaved in, they begin to, to have an impact on others and then you begin to drift individually and then we begin to drift corporately. I'm preaching right there. Y'all just don't know it. God made a very clear statement to them. There's some folks you need to separate yourself from. I wonder if there's some folks you might need to separate yourself from. 
You say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And ain't we supposed to be friend of sinners? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But when that sinner is dragging you farther down in their mess and you are dragging them towards the Messiah, you better separate yourself. Amen, preacher. Because you, you, you're trying to be real spiritual by hooking yourself to a sinner. But if you, if, if you can't handle what they're handling and they're dragging you farther down than you pull them up, it's time for you to separate yourself. Meet them in a public place, a coffee shop. Tell them about Jesus, amen? I'm preaching right here, but y'all don't know it yet. I don't know why I've gotten hooked on that saying right quick. There's a clear, th 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 there's not a question about what God is saying here. Do not let the Ammonites, do not let the Moabites in. And yet they did. There's a the clear prohibition. There's the, the cursed plan. Why? Why would God do that? Well, they were avowed enemies of God. They were avowed enemies to the people of God. And in verse 2, you'll see they didn't meet the children of Israel with bread and water. And they hired Balaam. They hired Balaam to curse them. Now, Balak goes to this guy, Balaam, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a curse on the people of God. It's found over here in Numbers chapter 22. Let's just look at it real fast. In Numbers chapter 22, Balak says, he sends messengers to Balaam. And he says, there is a people that has come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Do you see what the intentions are of the Ammonites and the Moabites? Their intentions are to curse God's people. They do not have good intentions towards God's people. And that's why God said, don't let them in. And this curse that Balaam would try to pronounce against God's people, God would then take it and he would turn it into a blessing. Notice what it says. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water in verse two of chapter 13. They heard Balaam against them that he would curse them. Howbeit, our God turned the curse into a blessing. You can go over and look at Numbers chapter 22 and verse 12. It says this. And God said to Balaam, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people for they are blessed. Yeah, there's the clear prohibition and the cursed plan, but there is a controlling power. Aren't you glad God's ultimately in control? What they were meaning for bad, God was taking it and blessing his people with it. And while Balaam attempted to curse them, God was in full control. So as we consider the absence of leadership, we see, first of all, their unwillingness to separate. But they continue in their sin. There's not only an unwillingness to separate, there is unwise support. You say, what do you, what, what do you mean, Pastor, by unwise support? Look back at Nehemiah 13. Look at verse 4. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto who? Say his name out loud. Tobiah. 
And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime laid they the meat offerings and all of these other offerings. Look at verse seven. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Now they were supporting their priest Eliashib and that was a very unwise decision. Because ultimately what happened is that the priest and the people have invited the enemy, not just inside the congregation, but inside the temple. Notice, first of all, the contributor. The priest at this time is a guy by the name of Eliashib. And here's what he's done. He goes to this guy named Tobiah, and he has a plush apartment, if you will. That'd be the best way we could describe it. Where all the sacrifices used to be, they moved all the sacrifices out of there, and Eliashib built Tobiah a beautiful, plush place in the temple. While Nehemiah is gone, the priest has built a place for a guy by the name of Tobiah. Now, who is Tobiah? Who, who is Tobiah? Look back at Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and look at verse 7. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and who? And the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. The priest has just built an enemy of God and God's people a place inside the temple. He also happens to be an Ammonite. What are you doing, Elisha? Can't, can't you see this conversation between Nehemiah and Elisha? Now, if you'll come back next week, Nehemiah, I'm telling you, Nehemiah ain't playing with these people. He is not playing with these people. He's going to come back next week and they're going to be have, they, they will have intermarried with pagans again. And he goes up to one of them and rips his hair out. I thought, you know what? Or just have a hair pulling service right here. You know, it is bring all the sinners down here and just pull you, pull your hair out, right? <laughs> Come back next week. We will not do that. I promise. We won't do that. But here's a guy named Tobiah that's living in the temple and the priest made him a place. This is a guy that was opposed to the rebuilding of the walls. He accused Nehemiah of rebelling against the king. He conspired to attack the city. He hired false prophets to make false statements about Nehemiah. And here is an Ammonite now living inside the temple. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? Well, Eliashib has got some relatives that's married to Sanballat's daughter. And Sanballat and Tobiah were really tight. And they had pull in the kingdom. And Elisha thought, I'll just align myself with these guys and have myself some political influence. And what had happened is nepotism had crept in, into the leadership in the temple. And now you got an Ammonite, not just in the congregation, but living in the temple. There's the contributor, but then there's the cleansing. 
When Nehemiah returns, can you imagine Nehemiah being gone a year and a half and he rolls back? And can you imagine what Elisha thought? Oh my, here he comes. Here comes Nehemiah. Well, he was disappointed to discover what he found in this intermingling with the Ammonites and the Moabites. He was especially grieved over the fact that Tobiah had a place to stay in the temple. And the leader shows up and here's what he does. Look, look, look at verse seven. He says, I came to Jerusalem and I understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. So, what, so what's the leader gonna do? Okay, what's the leader gonna do? Well, let's look and see what he does. Therefore, I cast forth all of the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. I love Nehemiah. He rolled up inside that chamber where Tobiah was living. He said, I'm getting rid of all this stuff. Your bed, your dresser, your lamp, your nightstand. I'm getting rid of everything in this place. I'm getting rid of it because you ain't got no business being here. This stuff ain't got no, ain't, has no business being in here. And I'm putting hands on it and I'm getting rid of it. Wouldn't you love to have watched that? So here's a man of God that took a position of leadership and got rid of the stuff that needed to be gotten rid of. Oh, man of God, sir, you're the spiritual leader of your home. Now, you're not a spiritual dictator in your home, but you are the spiritual leader in your home. There may be some stuff up in your house you need to put hands on and get out of your house. Oh, I hadn't reached fertile ground yet. There may be a little closet. You got some stuff hid in you don't think nobody knows about. You need to put hands on it and get rid of it. Mm, I'll keep going. There's some stuff in your refrigerator. You probably need to reach in, put hands on and get rid of. Amen. Because you ain't got it. It's got a hold of you. We're about to find some fertile ground in this a minute. There's some stuff in your home. Hey, man of God, rise up. And be the man that God has called you to be and get rid of the mess that is causing your family to begin to drift because God's put you in charge. He's put you as a spiritual leader of your home and God forbid that we not step up and take on the rightful role that God has placed us in and get rid of anything inside of our homes that would cause our families to begin to drift, that would cause our wives to begin to drift, that would cause our children to begin to drift. Rise up, men of God, and let's be men of God and let's be people of the book, amen? Amen. Because when we don't, in the absence of leadership, there's a drift. There's the absence of leadership. There's the abandoning of the law. But then there's an answer to their lawlessness. Thank God there's an answer, amen? Now we know from the first part of chapter 13 where they got the idea that they were living in violation to the word of God. They got it straight out of the book. And I want you to notice a couple of things of how they began to move in the right direction. Number one, they heard the words of the law. They heard the words of the law. Do you know there's power in the word? They were convicted by the word and they began to heed God's command. Look at verse three. 
Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated themselves from, they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Here's what they did. They said, Lord, you've given us a clear command. You've given us a clear command to separate ourselves. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Again, what fellowship has darkness with light? It could be that as you take this inventory of your own life, and you try to figure out where the drift in your relationship with Jesus originated, it may be that the drift originated when you attached yourself to somebody that don't have the same ideas about Jesus that you do. It may be that the drift began to happen when they started having a greater negative impact on you then you did a positive impact on them. Don't, please, please don't come up here with some holy roller attitude and tell me, well, Jesus ate with sinners. I know he did, but he didn't sin. Some of you can't, can't hang out with sinners because you do what they do. So save that. That drift has happened. And it's getting worse. And it's getting worse. And it's getting worse. And it'll continue to get worse until you separate yourself. They heard the word of the law and then they heeded the words of their leader. So when they realized they had violated the law, they separated themselves just like they were told. When they discovered Tobiah being in the temple chambers was a problem and Nehemiah alerted them to the problem, he gave them a command. Look at verse 9. It says, Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Here's what Nehemiah did. He cleaned out the temple. He got rid of the stuff that had no business being in there. You know, according to the New Testament, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple in the Old Testament is where the Shekinah, of Glo Shekinah glory resided there in the Holy of Holies. But today... In the new covenant, we are the temple of God. And he resides in us. And I wonder if some of us might have some stuff we need to get out of there. We got some stuff inside our temple. It's causing us to drift. Do you know that it's not always evil stuff that will cause you to drift? It's not always bad stuff that causes you to drift. Anything that might take priority over 
Your relationship with Jesus is causing you to drift. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? Let me encourage you to just take an inventory of what you got inside of your temple. And what is it that God has put his finger on that you need to lay hands on it and get it out? Because it's caused you to begin just to drift ever so slightly. And the Lord's revealed to you this morning that that drift is happening. And he says to you, I love you. And I don't desire that you continue to drift, but I desire to draw you back unto myself. Maybe some separation that needs to happen. May need to be some cleansing that happens. Now let me say this before we give the invitation. I've been preaching for a while now. And I'm very, very, very aware that when we have a message like we have just heard where we got to deal with some stuff that maybe God's put his finger on in our lives, that we are very hesitant to find our way to an altar and begin to pray because we think, man, everybody's going to know I got stuff in my life. Can I say something to you? We all got stuff. And the sooner we get honest about it before God, the sooner the drift stops. And we can be drawn back into right relationship with him. You see, the truth is, is if there's a time in your life you were closer to Jesus than you are now, a drift has occurred. And Jesus isn't mad about it. He wants to lovingly pull you back into relationship with him. He wants to lovingly cleanse you of all unrighteousness and get a brand new start today. So as we take this inventory, what do we need to separate from? Why don't you come and talk to the Lord about it? What is it that you need to clean out? Why don't you come and talk to the Lord about it? And let's leave with victory today and no longer drifting. As we stand to our feet, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would move during this time of invitation. May we be honest before you, Heavenly Father. And may you put your finger on exactly what it is in our lives we need to deal with today. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's lost and undone, that doesn't know their eternity, God, I pray that you would reveal to them their lost condition. And God, they'd surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you come, do business with the Almighty because there's danger in drifting. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.